Good morning again, Christ City Church. Happy Easter. Um, I wish we were together. I think we're all going to say it. I wish we were together in person, but here we are um, in this way that God has provided for this season. So I would like to invite you to stand as you're able, wherever you are, um, to reverence the reading of God's word. Today's reading uh, comes from the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. Mark chapter 15. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. From Matthew 28, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we're so thrilled um, for what today represents, for the love that it took um, to raise Jesus from the dead that gives us hope in, in the life that is now and in the life that is to come. We worship you today. We fall at your feet and we proclaim your goodness and we are so grateful for your unending love for us. We pray now for Matthew who will come and bring the word. We pray that your spirit would move among us in ways that we can hardly fathom. We love you, God, and we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Easter again, Christ City Church. I'm still recovering from the choir. Um, I have to say it's, it is a joy to be able to gather this in this way. And also, this has been such an interesting way to come into Easter. Uh, this has to be one of the, the most unique and poignant Easters of, of my life with uh, the COVID pandemic and the outbreak and the social distancing. And uh, it has seemed like we have needed resurrection more than ever. 
And yet it has seemed quite unlike a holy week that I could remember. Uh, we need to be reminded uh, in the midst of all of the uncertainty that we have navigated these, these past weeks and the wonders and the whatabouts and how comes and what's next, that in the midst of all of this uncertainty, that more than anything else, we have needed to be reminded of the certainty of Christ and the resurrection, that God is still on the throne, he's still in control, he is still uh, all-powerful, and that we, that's what we celebrate even this morning. Um, I, I've been thinking about, as we've come into this day, I've been thinking uh, how, how my world has gotten incredibly small and how it's also gotten incredibly large. It's gotten incredibly small in that I'm just in my house all the time. I'm there with Lisa and the kids and our housemate, Laura, and like my whole existence is sort of these few hundred square feet that I'm occupying and, and my, my life is just there. I, I move from one room to another. If I want to change a scenery, then I just go from one side of the dining room table to the other. And that just, my life is small. I, I, there have been a few days where I've looked up and I remember three days passed and I hadn't even gone outside yet. I just realized that my, my world is super small right now. Then it's also become very large for me as well that um, I find myself connecting uh, online and virtually and phone calls and FaceTime calls with friends that I hadn't spoken to in years. I called a good friend of mine, Brian in Arizona, that I hadn't talked to in a number of years and we reminisced about seasons of life that were decades ago. So in that way, my, my world's become very, very large, but, but from this very small place. And it's got me thinking, uh, honestly, about just sort of the, the strength of small things and that small things matter. I was looking at a post online from a friend of mine who is a doctor in Memphis, Tennessee, Zach Taylor. Zach, uh, he was writing and he said, you know, working in hospitals these days, it's become strange and illuminating. It's such a unique experience. Only the sickest patients are there. There's no families, and so the patients are lonely, and everyone is masked. Doing procedures and caring for failing patients who are waiting on their corona tests to return is tough. Having every inch of your body covered with protective gear in the, the ward that he's in, he's having to wear a double mask, it's just suffocating. But what he's also learned is the power of small things that the most beautiful smiles, that they're in the eyes, and that's good because the eyes are all that he has right now. Smiling eyes can brighten the days and brighten the life of someone. We've been all that we've had in this moment. Small things matter. Uh, this morning, in the moments that we have, what I wanna do is I wanna tell a small story that's in the larger resurrection story in the Gospels. I want to tell this small story of this man named Simon, who's from a place called Cyrene. Simon's mentioned in all three of the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. He's not mentioned in John. But in each of those Gospels, he only occupies one verse in each of them. A couple of weeks ago, I rediscovered Simon's story. I don't believe that I've ever preached on Simon before. And throughout the past two weeks, he's been such an encouragement to me. As I finished out Lent, as I finished out Passion Week and Good Friday, Simon's his lessons have continued to churn in my soul. And his story, as it's, as it's ministered to me, it's, it's pointed me towards hope and towards resurrection in this unrelenting way. On Friday, during our Good Friday service, local artist Sean Perkins uh, painted a, a picture of Simon. It was an image of Simon carrying Jesus' cross. 
There's a few things I think if, if, uh, if we could sort of lift up this really small story, this one verse story in the midst of a larger resurrection story, I think that there's some Easter lessons that Simon might want to say to us. For the first lesson, let's look again quickly at uh, Mark 15. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Cyrene, um, it's a city in modern-day Libya. Simon was a man of African descent. He's minding his own business. He's traveling from the country. He is heading into the big city of Jerusalem, uh, and he is in, in stumbles upon sort of this mass crowd and the Roman soldiers, they force him to carry Jesus' cross from that point all the way to Golgotha, which is where Jesus would be killed, just outside of the gates of Jerusalem. Now, where this story picks up of Simon, it picks up just after the Last Supper with the disciples that Jesus has. It picks up right after Jesus, Judas' betrayal of Jesus. Jesus is arrested. It's, it's right after uh, Jesus has his trial before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling body. It, Jesus has already met with Pilate. He's, uh, Jesus is then whipped as ordered by Pilate. He's marched towards the crucifixion. The soldiers at this point, they've put on a robe on Jesus, and they've put the crown of thorns on his head, and they've continued continued to beat him on the way. And now at this point, they have Jesus carrying his own instrument of death, the cross. And at this point, Jesus is weary. He's weary from, from the events of the night and of the day. He's weary from the accusation and the rejection. He's uh, weary from the beating. He's hungry. He has worked so hard at this point. And in this moment, he's got very little to show for it. There's not many family around at this point. Very few friends that are around. He's got very few clothes on his back, and he's weary. It's at this point that Simon is forced to carry Jesus' cross. We're not entirely sure exactly why the soldiers did this, but the best speculation is that the soldiers were concerned that they had beaten Jesus too badly and that he wasn't going to make it to Golgotha. They thought, oh, we may kill him on the way, and if they were to have done that, then they would have run the risk of being derelict in their murderous duties. And so they hijack this poor traveler and force him into service to carry a convicted man's cross. I can imagine the anxiety that Simon may have experienced in that moment of being forced to carry the, the cross and say, okay, look, I'm going to carry this cross and make sure, you know, like, there's a difference here. I'm not the one that's supposed to be on it. I'm just here because, you, you know, you got, you got to get to a destination. So, so don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be mixed up here. So Simon carries the cross of, of Jesus. Now, undoubtedly, at this point in the gospel, the, those first gospel readers upon arriving at this moment in the story, they would have immediately called to mind Jesus' earlier words in Matthew 16, in Mark 8, in Luke 9, in, in, in Matthew 16, where Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his, their cross and follow me. He repeats it again in Mark 8. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Luke says the same thing in Luke 9, but he adds daily to it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And we realize that what Simon is doing is he's doing the very literal and physical thing that Jesus is saying, this is what marks a disciple. This is the thing that marks a follower of Jesus. And Simon is doing that thing. 
Peter's not there. James isn't there. Matthew isn't there. Andrew isn't there. John's there, but he's sort of lurking in the background a bit. None of the disciples, none of those who walked with Jesus over the previous three years, who witnessed his miracles, who sat under his teaching, who walked with him, lived with him, who was there for meals at any of the beautiful and tumultuous times of Jesus' life, none of them were there. It was this stranger this African saint from the city of Cyrene, he was the one who helped Jesus in his moment of weariness and grief and pain. And I think at this point, what Simon would want us to know is that we don't have to carry our crosses alone. Jesus didn't. And neither should we. This season that has been marked by distance and isolation and sickness and death. This season is a burden that we ought not weather by ourselves. Even in the requirements to distance and these six-foot barriers that we erect between ourselves, Simon of Cyrene's story is dropped in the middle of the passion of Christ, and it quickly and quietly admonishes us against carrying our burdens by ourselves. And we've seen this truth uh, lived out across our country and even in our own city. At 7 p.m. each evening, New Yorkers move to their balconies and their stoops to cheer the healthcare workers who are changing shifts. They cheer, they whoop, they holler, they bang pots and pans and anything that won't make some noise, anything that would register their celebration in this moment. They're cheering for those that are coming off long days and long shifts of serving the city's sick and cheering for those going into the hospital, those that are going to work the graveyard shift, those that are going to battle through the night and hold a courageous vigil while the city sleeps and hopes. This practice is spread across the country and around the world as a way to honor medical professionals who are working so hard to care for our friends and our family members and our neighbors. In Memphis last week, at a local hospital, the same hospital that two of my children were born in, I discovered several boxes of desperately needed N95 masks. However, though the masks themselves were okay, the elastic had deteriorated a bit and needed repairing. So 400 volunteer tailors and seamstresses came together to repair over 20,000 masks as a way to bear the burdens for their neighbors for their family and friends. We've witnessed it here in D.C. The Table Church, a, a neighboring church here uh, on H Street, they've led an effort that uh, was begun here in this neighborhood of D.C., but has spread citywide, uh, one that Christ City is participating with, an effort to mobilize and match hundreds of volunteers here in Washington, D.C., and match them to elderly and homebound families in order to run errands, to grocery shop, and to safely check in on those that are particularly vulnerable. D.C. 127, another organization that we partner with that serves families that are navigating the foster care system, they've become so overwhelmed with the amount of in-kind donations that have been dropped off at their offices that at this point they're saying, listen, we can't handle them all. Please just give us money and let us use that to care for the well-being of families that they're serving. If you want additional information about either of those two examples, you can go to our resources page and you can sign up and know how to pray and how to give and how to serve there. Personally, I, I've been the recipient of this. 
Like so many families in our city juggling quarantine and social distancing and now the new weight of uh, distance learning as our children are holding school at home, uh, I've become the uh, headmaster of uh, Watson Academy located on E Street. And um, some days it goes great. Other days uh, I should stay in my lane. But it, it, at any rate, uh, our kids, they're, they're holding school there. And so you've helped us with with shopping. You've helped us with computer repairs so that our kids can learn. You've prayed for us. And mine's not a unique story. There are so many other stories from within our church family bubbling up as we together bear each other's burdens. Each of those examples, each of those stories, they're reminders that we weren't meant to bear our burdens alone. We're not meant to bear our pains alone, that crosses are heavy, even for a Savior. Uh, and the burdens are heavy. We just we can't say it any other way. Um, after our Good Friday service on Friday, we hosted a, a reflection uh, space. Uh, it was a Zoom call where people were able to call in and um, consider the, the 14 stations of the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus and how that resonated with us and which station in particular um, stirred our souls. During uh, the call, uh, we were talking about which which stations comforted us and which ones challenged us. And when we got to the point about comfort, someone noted that, this, that the service and the reflection, it wasn't so much comforting as it was validating. It was validating that this season has been hard, that there has been loss in this season. I was asked recently about what are the things that I'm grieving the loss of in this season. There's some of you uh, that I know in our Christ City family that you've lost loved ones during this to the pandemic. You've lost um, uncles and grandparents that you care about to complications that COVID has brought on. Some of you have lost family members to other things. But because it's happened during this time of social distancing, you haven't been able to gather with your family. You haven't been able to remember and celebrate lives well lived. And in that, there's a double grief. There are other losses as well. A friend in my small group, he um, left a job that he loved and where he was, um, that was secure and well-paying and he pushed all of his chips to the middle on a new venture, a new idea that he had, a new piece of technology he wanted to develop. And he had just completed a program with a local business incubator in preparation for the launch and then COVID happened. And his dreams are on hold and he's wondering if if the play button will ever be pushed again. He doesn't know for how long, and he doesn't know if he'll get another chance to take a run at this dream. And there's grief there, there's loss. I received emails from friends who have long planned weddings only to have them canceled or postponed, or they've moved forward, but, and it was beautiful, but not quite in the ways that they'd imagined. And, and so there's been a loss. This pandemic that we're in in this season it can just seem like a long walk to Golgotha and church what I want you to know on this Easter is that the Lord sees you the Lord sees you with whatever burden or pain that you're carrying that he sees you and your church sees you and when we see you we don't just notice you but we stand in awe at the courageous ways that you are carrying and bearing those burdens and the story 
Jesus doesn't leave Simon alone. And it's important to note this. Jesus was still all-powerful. He still could have moved time and history in such a way. He didn't have to carry the cross. He could have made other choices. He could have said, oh, great. Okay, here you go, Simon. Why don't you just run the rest of the way? I'm going to post up here. But no. He continued to follow through with the will of his father. And in that, he walked with Simon. He doesn't just leave Simon to the task, though weary and broken and humbled. Jesus is with Simon all the way. They're together all the way. And in this, what Jesus provides to us is the visual reminder of the consistent biblical truth that God will never leave you. God utters these words in the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis. In chapter 28, he says, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you. Says it again, Deuteronomy 31, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. In the New Testament, Hebrews 13 picks up on these same themes, says he will never leave you and never forsake you. In Romans 8, they take another turn and says, Christ, uh, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. But you're not alone in it, friends. Because of the word of God and because of the work of God in Christ on the cross, you can be assured that Christ is with you. And in that is our hope in the resurrection. Simon walks to Golgotha with Jesus. I know at this point you may think, okay, that's good. I get that. feels like a bit more like a Good Friday sermon, Watson. When are we going to get uh, to resurrection? When are we going to Easter? But uh, walk with me a little bit here. The small story and the big story can actually easily be missed. Look again, Mark 15. I've got one verse to give to you. Mark 15, verse 21. Look again. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, were passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. This is a, it's a curious reference that Mark actually makes. But what he's doing here for the first readers of the Gospels, he's locating Simon. He's locating Simon within the Christian community. And he's saying, listen, this is Simon, and this is Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. What Mark is saying, he's saying, hey, you guys know Simon? If you don't remember Simon, it's Alex and Rufus' dad. You know, you know those two, right? Well, this is his, his dad. That very same guy is the one that carried the cross for Jesus. He's locating Simon within the larger Christian community. In Paul's letter to the Romans, 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, Paul references Rufus in Romans 13, and many scholars believe that this is the same Rufus that was the son of Simon, that would have been known to the wider Christian community in the first century. What that means to us is that Simon didn't just walk with Jesus to Golgotha. He didn't just walk with him to the place of the skull, but it appears to be that Simon walked with Jesus after the resurrection as well. That he didn't only know the burden of the cross, but he, always, but he also experienced the joy of the resurrection. He didn't end with carrying the cross, but he continued with it. So that then in Matthew 28, we could read after the Sabbath. At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to look in the tomb, but there was a violent earthquake there. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, went to the tomb, rolled back the stone, then sat on it. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Simon knew that piece of the story, too. 
He shared it with his sons, with Alexander and Rufus, and with a larger Christian community, and he shares that testimony with us today. We weren't meant to bear our crosses alone. Jesus knows the, the weight that you carry, and maybe it's not so much comforting, but that it is validating that you are seen. And in the resurrection, that new life is here now and it's on the horizon. We'll catch glimpses of this new life as we, as we journey with others, as we, as we cheer them on from our balconies and porches and Zoom calls. And eventually we will cheer one another on when we're back together in our living rooms and backyard barbecues. We experience this new life when our friends deliver groceries and prayers for us. We, we experience this new life when we together provide a sign and a foretaste of it as we provide for those experiencing financial hardships in our city. And because of those small acts that point us to the day when Jesus will make all things right and all things new and the full weight of the resurrection is realized. Jesus' invitation to us this morning in the resurrection is the same as it was to Simon on the way to Golgotha. Follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Not just, not just to Golgotha, but out of the tomb into the resurrection and into new life that is found in Christ and Christ alone. This morning, I want to invite you to for the first time or again to place your faith in the God of resurrection and the God of new life with what you know, with the questions you have, with the burdens you bear, to place your faith and trust in Him and experience the new life that is offered to all of us. I think that's what Simon would say to us this morning. Let me pray for us. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, animate the rooms that we're in. Animate the places where we are. Let us sense your presence, your nearness, your burden-bearing power, your your overcoming death and sin, your, your resurrection power, let us, let us know that and experience that even in this moment, God. Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would remind us that we're seen by you, that we're loved and cared for by you, God, I pray that you would show us those around us that are bearing burdens with us, the community that you've surrounded us with. And God, I also pray that you would show us who in our lives you want us to, to be a burden bearer for and whose life do we need to be Simon's. And God, in this moment and in those places, I pray that you would show up in ways that only you can in our lives and in our city. For the sake of your name and for the sake of your glory. In the name of the resurrected one, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.